Over the past few weeks, we've talked about the lack of love in today's world. We've discussed fear, the dangers of an unforgiving heart, and what it looks like to strive for hope in a hopeless world. Last week, we even spent some time focusing on end-time anxieties. And many of these worrisome things are simply the reality of living in a sinful world. And that's bad news. But fear not. The good news is this. We will look at these ailments and infections caused by sin, but we will be focusing on the truth that Jesus is the cure. Our sermon today is entitled, Gripped by Guilt and Strangled by Shame. Guilt. Terrible, awful guilt. It weighs us down and often defines us in more ways that we even realize. So many people come to church on a weekly basis wanting to escape the grasp that guilt has on their heart. The real tragedy is that many believe that their guilt will never allow them to truly have a healthy relationship with Jesus. But is this how he wants us to feel? Is this how he wants us to feel? When it comes to the topic of guilt, there are two different kinds. There's a kind of guilt that is beneficial, and therefore from God. But there's also a guilt that is counterproductive, and therefore not from God. So how do we tell the difference? It can be confusing at times. This morning, I'd like to discuss these two different kinds of guilt, and then look at a specific interaction that Jesus had in the hopes that we can find some clarity and encouragement. And I believe the Bible can help us here. When it comes to the healthy form of guilt, it's important to note the truth that God is for you. God is for you. Remember that. He is not against you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is for you. And he's gone to demonstrate at great length this truth. Think about John 3.16, most well-known verse in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was because God loved you so much, because he was for you, that he was willing to give of himself. God is for you, not against you. And Paul also does a good job of putting this concept into words. In the book of Romans, Romans 8, 31 through 33, it says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. As a loving father, he would never heap guilt upon you that has no resolution. He would never heap guilt upon you that has no resolution. 
God will give you something better than just guilt. He will give you a path to repentance. A path to repentance. When it comes to God and guilt, he isn't wanting to shame us. That is not his goal. Instead, he wants to show us our true condition and the hopes that we will accept his grace, draw near to him, and experience a life of transformation. Healthy guilt is productive. It is God leading us to repentance through the Holy Spirit, guiding us to live out what the scriptures teach. God's form of guilt leads to healing and life. Once we obediently take the steps to follow our conscience, the guilt is replaced by a refreshed spirit. As Dr. Luke writes in Acts 3, repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The guilt and shame from sin, they hang over us like a dark cloud. And sometimes we are suffocating and we aren't even aware of it. We don't know fully what's going on. It slows us down, it steals our happiness, But when we take these burdens of guilt and shame to the Lord, we're set free. There is freedom in Christ. There is liberty in Jesus. Those bonds of sin which dry out our souls like a desert fall away. And we are refreshed by the living water of life. That's the plan that God wants for us. Dear friends, won't you surrender? Have you dealt with guilt and shame for long enough? Won't you surrender your life to God's will and experience this refreshing? Now, as I mentioned before, there's another form of guilt. This one is unhealthy. An unhealthy form of guilt. It does just the opposite of the good guilt that leads to repentance. Instead of guiding and leading us back to God, this unhealthy guilt actually leads to separation. There are some common statements that come from those that are feeling this unhealthy guilt. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've sinned too much. God would never forgive my sins. How could he? I am unworthy. God is punishing me for what I have done. I deserve this guilt. These are not the statements of people that are being led by a loving father. Sounds more like an abusive relationship. There's no solution being presented by the Holy Spirit here. No way forward. It is condemnation like this that keeps us from experiencing God's grace and love. 
So you may be asking, where does this guilt come from then, if not from God? The first place it can come from is from within ourselves. Oftentimes, we're our own worst enemy. And actually, this is very telling of how we view other people as well. Usually, if we are hard on others and judge them harshly, we tend to expect that same sort of reaction from God toward us. If we don't give people grace and forgiveness, it's impossible for us to perceive a heavenly father who would simply let us off the hook, so to speak, because we've repented, because we've accepted grace. But the second place it comes from, and Janelle touched on this, it's from the enemy. The enemy. Revelation 12 depicts Satan figuratively as a a great red dragon that has been defeated by heaven and hurled down to the earth. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. He's an accuser and a liar. And in fact, John wrote down some words straight from the mouth of Jesus in his gospel. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow. He's the father of lies. The enemy wants you to think that you are condemned and being punished by God. Through the use of guilt, he wants to convince us that grace is beyond our grasp. That we're too far gone. And this, dear friends, is a horrible lie. He is the father of it, is he not? This is a lie. And this lie is an ailment of sin, right? And since we believe that Jesus is the cure, why don't we focus our attention on him? Why don't we look at a story from John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11? It's a story I'm sure we all know well. But let's go through it together. John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. You know, unlike nowadays, people in Jesus' time, they used to get up when the sun rose. And the teachers taught in the temple courts. That's what's going on here. And then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. 
And when they had set her in the midst, just to make sure that we're all on the same page here, what's going on? Imagine, if you will, if this scene is about to unfold right in the middle of the church service, right in the middle of the sermon. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But hey, Jesus, what do you say? They were trying to pit Jesus between a proverbial rock and a hard place, right? That's what's going on here. They have ulterior motives. Now, Old Testament scripture, it laid this out. It commanded that the execution be not only of the adulteress, but also of the adulterer. If this woman had genuinely been caught in the very act, then surely the guilty man was identified too, right? Yet only the woman is brought forth. And I don't know about you, but I find this to be very suspicious. Very suspicious. (laughs) And I'll leave it up to you to ponder as to why. But the law of Moses demanded the execution of this woman. But Rome had removed capital jurisdiction from Jewish courts. The Jews couldn't follow capital punishment on their own unless it dealt with a specific temple violation. So if Jesus acquitted the woman, the Jews could accuse him of despising the law of Moses. But if he declared her worthy of death, He could then be accused by the Romans as attempting to assume authority that only belonged to them. A rock and a hard place indeed. This they said with ulterior motives, right? Testing him. That they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Now, they grew a little impatient at his delay and his apparent indifference. And because of that, the accusers drew closer. But then their eyes fell upon what he was writing. Could he have been writing the law out? Could that be possible? Could that be what was going on here? I mean, this would make sense, considering that it was the finger of God that wrote the Ten Commandments on stone, right? These religious leaders that professed such reverence and knowledge and understanding concerning the law, they disregarded its provisions. Indeed, the law said that it was the husband's duty to take care of this matter, to take action against her, to bring forth these accusations. And the guilty parties, both people involved, were to be punished in equal measure. That's what the law said. These accusers, they were overstepping their boundaries. That's what was going on here. 
Their threats and accusations were completely unauthorized. And Jesus has a very wise and gentle way of telling them to slow their roll. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus in his patient wisdom, he neither set aside the law of Moses nor infringed upon the authority of Rome. The woman's accusers had been defeated. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. What a blessing it is to be left alone with Jesus. But these words from Jesus, he who is without sin, cast the first stone, they must have sounded like a death sentence in the ears of this woman, right? I, I mean, she, she understands what's going on here. And here, standing before her, was the only one who could throw that first stone. The sinless one. And so I, I think that she's here awaiting her fate. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Where are the haters gone? No one has condemned you. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Oh, how magical and comforting those words must have been to this woman. This woman who before had no hope, nothing but fear, condemnation, guilt, and shame. A true balm, not from Gilead, but from Galilee. Overcome with gratefulness, this woman accepted the warm embrace of God's love. Now, concerning this story, Ellen White had some beautiful words of commentary to add. These quotes are from her book, her commentary on the life of Jesus entitled The Desire of Ages. And if you've never read this copy and you want to, just see me in the foyer afterwards. I will give you a free copy. We have plenty. But in that book, she wrote this. In the uplifting of this fallen soul... Jesus performed a greater miracle in the, in, than in healing the most grievous physical disease. He cured the spiritual malady, which is unto death everlasting. Wow. A true doctor, a true internalist, if you will. But another quote, the world had for this erring woman only contempt and scorn but Jesus speaks word of comfort and hope. The sinless one pities the weakness of the sinner and reaches to her a helping hand, not a harming hand. While the hypocritical Pharisees denounce, Jesus bids her go 
and sin no more. You see, when it comes to those unhealthy forms of guilt and shame, the ones that keep us from coming to God, Jesus comes in with love, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus is the reason that we never have to go it alone. Jesus is the reason why we can turn to Hebrews 4.16 and believe that it's truth. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because of Jesus, there is acceptance at the throne of God. And after acceptance, there's an invitation, an invitation to total transformation. Where we can, as Paul said, become new creatures. Free from the bonds of sin, guilt, and shame. So, if you are experiencing guilt, guilt that you just can't get away from, guilt that is not guiding you toward repentance, that is pushing you away from God and not toward him, making you feel shame about the past, I'm going to simply tell you to cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Don't listen to your accusers. Don't listen to your haters. Don't listen to the ones that say you'll never get it. You'll never grow. You'll never move forward. There's no hope for you. Don't listen to it. Listen to Jesus. Read this story. Imagine that you are this woman at the end of your rope. Listen to Jesus' words. Neither do I condemn you, that's acceptance. Go and sin no more. It's an invitation to total transformation. Cry out to Jesus because no matter the sin, No matter the struggle, no matter the lie, no matter the doubt, no matter the pain, no matter the fear, Jesus is the cure. Amen and amen. I hope you'll join us next week. We're going to wrap up this sermon series during our special Easter service with a sermon entitled, The Overarching Problem of Sin. I hope to see you then.